to the Mint's podcast series, In the Boardroom, Practical Advice and Guidance for Growth Companies. This is session two, running an effective board meeting. My name is Steve Osborne. I'm a partner in our Silicon Valley office of Mint's. My practice focuses on helping companies who want to grow, fund, and exit. I'm joined by two of our top corporate governance lawyers, Melanie Levy, a capital markets lawyer in our San Diego office, and Tom Burton, the chair of our clean energy and sustainability practice located in our Boston office. Melanie, how are you today? I'm great, Steve. How are you? Great. Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing terrific. I love how we've got the entire country covered, you know, we both the East and West Coast in these discussions. <laughs> That's right. Well, and I think one of the things I like about this group, too, is that we cover both private and public companies. And so today, we're going to look at how to run an effective board meeting, both from a private company and a public company. So our CEOs, who are private companies, we're going to give them some advice that I think helps them uh, with their companies. But as they grow into the public company, or for our public company CEOs, I think there's some practical advice here for them as well. We're going to kick off our topic today with preparation for the board meeting. I get a question from a lot of my clients, especially my private company clients, is what should I do to prepare for the board meeting? Melanie, what do you think? Well, I think the number one first thing to do is to always set an agenda. And the agenda should include information that provides the board, at least from a strategic level, the things that it, it needs to know about the company. And number two, it should not have anything that would be shocking or surprising or that hasn't been previewed or discussed with directors in advance. And on that agenda, you're going to want to have some administrative things like approval of prior minutes. And you're also going to want to have a discussion about the business. And this is where I guess you'll see a lot of variation or a lot of questions because there's a lot of questions and, and struggle and angst about how much should be discussed about the quote unquote business in the board meeting. You know, some boards may have eight hour long meetings. Other boards maybe have three hour long meetings. And, you know, as a general rule of thumb, and Tom, I think you've, you've said it really well, the board's job is to provide strategic advice. It is not to operate the company. And the other way to look at it is to also think about and to take a step back and think about from a legal perspective, what duties is the board trying to fulfill when it meets? And if you think about it, the board is required under Delaware law. It has a duty of care and a duty of loyalty and focusing on the duty of care. What that basically means is, for lack of a better word, the board should care, of course, but it should actually take an interest and an analyze and have a thought about what the business is doing. Let me jump in and, and ask about preparing a board deck. You know, I know that Sequoia has a great white paper that they put out to help founders to understand even like what to put into a board deck and then maybe on how to effectively run a board meeting. How do you look at that, Tom? 
Sure. I think that as, as was noted by Melanie, you have an agenda and there are certain items that are always going to be standing agenda items, which would be a review of the financial condition of the business on a you know, periodic basis. Uh, there'll be review of operations, review of sales and marketing, uh, maybe HR development. So, so that there's a baseline understanding of the status of the business and then, you know, important time dedicated to strategic decisions that need to be made. As Melanie noted, you know, the board's view is, uh, is to supervise, you know, and to uh, set strategy. It is not to operate, you know, uh, I heard a quote the other day that, you know, for board members, uh, you know, it ought to be noses in and fingers out. And I think that's a great way to sort of, you know, frame the role of the board member. That duty of care is noted as one of care and diligence. And so it's acting in good faith to understand, you know, what a reasonable person would need to understand in order to help steer the direction of the business. You know, remember that the board is that conduit between the uh, shareholders and, you know, and management. And so it's a critically important role. The deck itself, various ways in which that can be prepared, but the, the themes that come out and I hear from time to time from board members is I want to see, you know, a snapshot of the business. I want to see you set your goals. I want to see red, yellow, green, you know, green, we're meeting goals, yellow, this goal's in danger, red, we're in trouble, we got to discuss it. And I want to see that in a dashboard based on the KPIs that we set, you know, at the beginning of, the, of any calendar year. I think that's a really useful way to begin to present materials. And it also can allow the board to track over time. It's one of the other things that often I see, you know, sort of mistakes or lack of best practice with companies is that uh, there is no tie to the prior discussions or prior minutes. So it's hard for the board to track and understand the progress over time. And I think that's a critically important point. I'm sure that the, the Sequoia uh, materials get into that as well. Yeah, I think a lot of times... Uh a CEO will ask me, you know, how much time should I spend preparing for a board meeting? And I think that if you don't prepare for a board meeting, you're likely not to have a very effective board meeting because it's going to be very hard to keep everybody on topic and on task. And I think if you prepare too much for a board meeting, you're taking yourself away from the business. And if you over-prepare for a board meeting, I think it might not be that fruitful for the reasons that you both mentioned, which is the board's job is to help you strategically, not to help you necessarily with every management decision. And so I do think for a lot of my CEOs, I try to get them to see this as an opportunity to present, uh, as you said, you know, consistently from meeting to meeting, what it is that we're trying to report on the company, but also to present information in a way that they can get the most out of their board members. Do you have some best practices, Melanie, on how you frame issues in a board meeting so that you can get feedback that's helpful to the business? From your board members? I do. And I think it's for public companies, I think in many ways it's a bit easier. So um, for publicly traded companies, one of the things that you would look at and how to structure like what what should you talk about is well, if you go to your business section of your 10K, if you have one, or your S1, if you haven't filed a 10K, there's going to be sections in that business section. It may be a particular trial. It may be a particular product line. It may be a strategic initiative of the company. And that's information that is being given to shareholders to impart typically value to the stock. 
And so as a board member to exercise that duty of care and that duty of loyalty, you don't have to go into the minute detail of each one of those things. But using that business section as almost an outline, you should have maybe a slide or a brief discussion about each one of those referenced initiatives, clinical trials, or sections. Because that way, if God forbid anything happens with one of those, a trial doesn't go well, then the board has some additional protection because it can show that it has a record, that it at least talked with management about the strategic aspects and progress that management was making on each of those things. Another thing, as Tom pointed out, And that is very common with public companies is there's a committee called a compensation committee. And if you're a publicly traded company, it's required to be comprised of independent directors. Each year, that committee is going to set goals that often will impact how much management or senior management, at least, gets paid in bonuses. And so when you're talking about as a private company, what sort of initiatives and goals should you reply to port card on, at least to the compensation committee and probably to the entire board, you should also, in addition to that business update, have a check-in about those goals and say, look, sometimes the goal might be I'm going to raise at least $10 million you know, in a public offering. How is that going? What's happening? And another item I would say, in addition, thinking about it from a public company, is just what are our shareholder relations, press releases, expected announcements, our pending filings. Not every board member needs to read every press release, but certainly your audit committee should always look at and discuss the press release planned for each quarter about the financial results. They should also have a subset. It could be the CEO as a director, maybe one other director. If you're going to release a press release about clinical trial results, a board member should have looked, should look at that. Any major press releases that are going to go out that can be used as influencing the value of the stock, a director should look at. And when you think about it, why? Because those are value movers for your stock. Those are key important disclosure events for your stock. And if you want to have protection, should something go wrong and a stockholder should sue because something turns out to not be true in a press release or God forbid, it just doesn't turn out the way you thought it would, you at least have that protection of saying the board exercised its duty of care in that at least some members of the board looked at those things. And as long as you can prove they looked at it, you get a lot of protection under the law. Oh, that's really helpful. Um, you know, one of the things you actually said earlier in the podcast that I thought was really interesting was what shouldn't happen at a board meeting is you shouldn't be shocked or surprised by something that's being said by a board member. Tom, what do you think Melanie meant by that? Yeah, so in that kind of situation, you know, oftentimes there there might be um, – you know, bad news, you know, that has transpired between board meetings, you know, uh, maybe a a lost customer or, you know, a a trial does not get, you know, good, uh, good results, Um, or perhaps some uh, IP under development has not worked out well, potential product. And, And in those cases, we tend to recommend that it's best for management, this is time consuming, it's best for management to have a preview conversation, probably one-on-one with board members when those major elements of bad news do occur. Um, this uh, concept of no surprises is uh, is a, an important one. I, I would say it's more customary than it is legal, but it allows for 
board members offline to digest the information, think about it a little bit ahead of time, which which is important because again, you're fulfilling a duty of diligence and care. And so, if you have a moment to think, then you can come to a board meeting uh, with everyone having an understanding of the news, and then work together to strategize, you know, a game plan for how to deal with it in, in whatever way makes the most sense for the business. One of the things I'm always really proud about our firm is how much we work together to help clients. And one of the things that I learned from Melanie that I really loved that I think has been very helpful for a lot of my clients where we have a CEO's forming a board and wanting to know some of the most important things to discuss with the board, or even more importantly, when a a client's gotten their first lawyer and that lawyer is trying to help then conceive of what should be happening at the board and what's important and not important. And Melanie shared with me this great story of talking to our litigation team about what they see in litigation that they wish the corporate lawyers had done. So Melanie, will you share that with our clients and audience here? Yeah, happy to. Yes, we have some great securities litigators. So while it's, I know it's terrifying to think about the prospect of ever being sued for fraud or 10b5, I would say that if you're a public company, unfortunately, the reality of the situation is anytime that you have a stock drop or you have negative news, and almost all companies at some point will have negative news, there is a chance that you will be sued. And oftentimes you could be sued for fraud. You could also be sued for, as Tom mentioned, a breach of fiduciary duty. And these would be lawsuits from shareholders. And so if I put aside the fraud claim, because that's probably for a different podcast, <laughs> a different, a different one. But if we just look at if a shareholder is going to accuse a board member of a breach of fiduciary duty, one of the things that the shareholder is probably going to claim is that the board didn't exercise its duty of care. But Delaware law provides a lot of protection called quote-unquote business judgment, which means courts, as similar to the board not second-guessing how to manage the company, Delaware courts have this concept that they're not going to second-guess how board members make business decisions. Where you can get in trouble, though, is if you're not providing supervision or exercising judgment at all. So this really great advice that I got, and I can't take credit for it, Steve, it came from one of our securities litigators, is that one of the instances is, as long as at least when you have major events, um, like Tom mentioned, clinical trial results being published, press releases being issued, major events that are going to communicate to the market, as long as you can at least show that some subset of the board reviewed and thought about the press release, and hopefully, again, another topic for another time, did not discuss detailed comments over emails without attorneys being on the emails, but as long as they had comments to the press release and thought about it, they get a lot of protection And that they just exercised business judgment that should not be second-guessed by a third party. So it's having, so the key is if you're going to have a clinical trial press release, you're going to have any press release about your financial results, have at least one or two board members look at that release. And if they have substantive comments, talk about it in a meeting or pick up the phone and call management and tell management, I think I'm a little concerned about a sentence here. 
Yeah, just to supplement on that, you know, what the courts care about is process, right? They want to know that you know, you had your agenda, you had your regular meetings, you had you went through the deck, you got the deck with plenty of time to analyze the the issues, uh, to think through the problems, um, and if you do all that well and you meet a, a solid process, board members can make really bad decisions. You can be really stupid, for lack of a better term, and you don't have to worry about being sued. So, uh, so it's really one of the I would say most important legal innovations, you know, it's, it's older, it's been many, many years in place, but a legal innovation which has allowed capitalism in our country to really thrive in the sense that it, it, it permits companies and their boards to make decisions, take risks, you know, when measured and when important for a company, and, and ultimately uh, yield successes overall. So, in, and in the technology sector where innovation is key, business judgment will, I think, uh, is a very, very helpful tool to uh, help tech companies grow and, and build and take the risks that they need to take. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is, is in addition to sort of what maybe Sequoia and other people who will tell you what to put in your board meeting uh, structure, you know, around reporting and hearing from executives is that when you're thinking about content, you want to be thinking about content that is material enough or important enough that it could later be looked at as maybe a basis for a lawsuit and make sure that that content is getting discussed. And I think that's very helpful for lawyers who are kind of growing into that, you know, public company, general counsel, or CEOs who are thinking about what other topics do I need to be covering in my board meetings? And in fact, dovetails nicely with advice that I, I often give based on an experience I had, which is I was sitting in a board meeting once and it was really like the first one or two board meetings for a, a fast growing company. And the CEO came out and gave a great report on the sales. And then each of the, the business units came out and gave all the positives. And the board members looked a little stunned. And one of them spoke up and said, that sounds great, but like, what is going wrong? Like, where are the challenges? Like, we can help you with the challenges. We appreciate that the company's doing well. But can you share with us a little bit about the challenges so we can help you? And I just think that's an awesome uh, way to think about content for a board meeting, which is it doesn't need to be a rosy picture. It doesn't need to be perfectly curated. It doesn't even need to be uh, without some challenges or many of, of challenges in the business. Uh, but yes, going back going back to what Tom said earlier, maybe you want to be careful about surprising board members in board meetings. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, I was just going to say transparency is key, right? I think boards need transparency from the management in order to do their job effectively. Yeah. Well, and that brings me to a part of the board uh, meeting that that sort of, I think, confuses people, which is what is an executive session, closed session? What are these sessions and what's supposed to be transpiring in them? And I think in many ways, uh, you know, what's different between maybe what happens in a private company and a public company? Melanie, maybe you can share with us your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, um, so just thinking about it from a public company versus private company perspective, so generally, first of all, a closed session, and people, different minds may disagree, but in my mind, a closed session is a session that may include boarded management, but does not necessarily include observers. And so an, an, an observers are sort of a species of private companies. It's possible for public companies to have observers, but under exchange rules, observers have to actually be able to be excluded at any time in the discretion of the board. So you're not, as a public company, going to have 
you know, the same observer rights that you would in a private company. And the other thing is obviously observers in a public company need to have confidentiality or you have regulation FD issues, but another discussion for another time. So if you think about it, a closed session is really where maybe other employees and those observers are excluded, but the board is having a discussion with management. In private companies, the extent to which you can legally exclude an observer is going to be defined in your investor's rights agreement. And it might be that you can exclude an observer for to protect attorney-client privilege, very sensitive trade secret information, and things of that nature. But again, unless you have it in there, the observer as a private company is going to have a right to be there. For a NASDAQ company, not so much. The next thing is this concept of an executive session. And really, to me, what an executive session means is that any it is comprised of only quote-unquote independent or perhaps in public company speak, non-employee directors. So all the members of management are excluded, and typically the members of the board who are not also employees or executives of the company, the quote-unquote independent or non-employee directors, meet, and they typically meet with council present. And that session is required to be something that happens regularly, typically if you're an exchange-traded company. And um, so let's just think about it from a human perspective Some founders, and I think it's just human nature, when you have to leave a room and you have your company that is something you passionately care about, and you have to leave the room to allow your performance and your company's performance to be discussed without you present is a very uncomfortable thing. I acknowledge that. I completely understand that. But unfortunately, having an executive session The reason the exchanges require it is because it allows frank and open discussion amongst those board members, which is intended oftentimes to be constructive. And what should happen is that you should always have an executive session, I think, every time the board meets so that it never takes anyone by surprise that there's going to be an executive session. And really, Tom, you gave some great advice on this. In order for the executive session to really be effective, there should be a board member, whether it's a lead director or lead independent director, who goes back and then talks to management or the CEO about any feedback that they might have so that the CEO is not left wondering what happened after I left the room. And again, that executive session, it's it's very important. It provides a lot of frankness. And if you are an exchange-traded company, it's required. If you're a private company, it's not, unless for some reason it happens to show up in one of your investor documents. Yeah, from the private company perspective, I, I agree that those best practices that are lay, uh, laid out for public companies you know, should apply equally for private companies. So you know, I'll often advise that the board meet in executive session, uh, either certainly without you know management um, and uh, on, a, on a regular basis at each meeting, and then in cases where you know subject matter related to the CEO comes up uh, for that, assuming the CEO is also a board member, you know for that for the CEO to recuse themselves for that discussion and, and then with a follow up. As Melanie noted, with from either the board chair or the lead director on on uh, whatever constructive uh, discussion can be had out of out of that kind of uh, background. So um, important, as you noted, for the board to have the ability to have a full and frank discussion. And if there are either conflicted members of the board, you know, like the CEO, if you're talking about the CEO's performance uh, or or otherwise, you 
as a board in order to meet that fiduciary duty of care uh, uh, ought to be able to speak freely and fully. And so, so this uh, session provides that functionality. That's great. Thank you both for those thoughts. And as we're sort of wrapping up our second session on running an effective board meeting, I think the way I would sum it up is saying this. CEOs should look forward to the opportunity of having a board meeting as an opportunity to work on the business and not just in the business. And they shouldn't fear sharing bad news, although they may want to preview bad news with their board members before they get to the boardroom so there's no surprises in the boardroom. But use that opportunity with very experienced and very thoughtful and people who are motivated to help you. Use that experience in the boardroom to also talk about your challenges and how you might overcome those challenges. And then finally, you can't forget that there are fiduciary duties and you need to understand those fiduciary duties and make sure that you're giving the board an opportunity to help you manage and, and look at the most material and challenging parts of the business. And that is a good strategy for staying out of the courtroom when there are challenges. And of course, in all of our companies, there's usually at some point some challenges in the business. They don't all go perfectly. So as we wrap this up, we always like to end with a question. And this question comes from another private company client of ours. And that is, what do I do when a board member asks me a question in the board meeting that I'm not prepared to answer? Tom, do you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think, um, again, in the interest of transparency, you know, I think that uh, it is completely fine for the CEO, if they're, if they're the subject of the question, to, to say that the question's a good one being raised and that, you know, they don't have a full answer to it, uh, but that they will circle back with that board member or the entire board um, after having an opportunity to gather the information needed to allow them to answer the question fully. That's great. And Melly, do you have an example of maybe this coming up at a board meeting and, and what a good CEO did or, or what you would have coached the CEO to do? Yes. And of course, I'm not going to name names because we don't do that. But I, I think there's a, you know, it's always, it's always important to remember that boards are made of humans and people's personalities are at play. And I have seen, you know, Something's a good characteristic of a CEO is somebody who's like, I'm going to tackle it right now. I'm going to answer the problem right now. And there's an immediacy to it, which is what you want in a CEO. Otherwise, things just don't get done. But the, the one word of caution I would say is that sometimes, and what I have seen, is that the board will ask a question and it could be seen as slightly critical, but sometimes it's just trying to understand. And rather than wait for full information, a CEO or management might begin to sort of just think out loud, you know, begin speaking things and try to solve the problem in real time when perhaps it would have been prudent to take a deep breath, pause, and have a moment and just think to yourself, is there more information I need to answer this question now? Or is this truly something I need to address immediately? And I think just taking that moment when you throw that hardball question to pause and say, let me get back to you later, sometimes would be more effective. That's great advice for CEOs in a boardroom and for lawyers talking to their clients and probably for anybody talking to their kids. Anyways, that's probably great advice to finish on uh, in any context in life. So thank you, Melanie. And thank you, Tom, for for, uh, for, for being so generous with your time. And thank you to our audience for joining us on this second session 
of the Mint's podcast series, In the Boardroom, Practical Advice and Guidance for Growth Companies. And this was session two on running an effective board meeting. We will see you for our next session.